of tongues. Let's go to John, uh, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. More beginning from personal reading here. Matthew chapter 12 will take us to also Mark chapter 3 and John chapter 16. Matthew chapter 12, and let's look at verses 22 through 32 to begin. Matthew 12, verses 22 through 32. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil. We call that demon possession. Blind and dumb. So apparently in this case, demon possession had a bearing on the physical being of the man. Not always, so be careful how you judge something when someone is sick or has an illness or uh, some kind of physical problem. You cannot always say that it's because of a demon that has affected him, but in this case it was. And he healed him in so much that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub. The prince of devils and Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand and if Satan cast out Satan he is divided against himself how shall then his kingdom stand and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils by whom do your children cast them out therefore they shall be your judges but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God then the kingdom of God is come unto you, or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil the goods or his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me, and he that is gathered not uh, that gathered not with me is scattered abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy of the, against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Verse 32. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now that's a very hard verse number 32, because it says what it says, and I'll try to explain that. But now come to the book of Mark chapter 3. And we'll try to explain the passage of scripture about the same event here. Mark chapter 3. The emphasis will be the teaching tonight on the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost or the unpardonable sin. Mark chapter 3, verse number And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casted out, uh, casted he out devils. And he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, 
and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation because they said he hath an unclean spirit. Now these verses are verses that cause a lot of people trouble and in particular denominations, uh, they interpret this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to mean certain things. And I'll get to that in just a little bit. But the possessed man was blind and unable to talk and a physical manifestation of being possessed by an unclean spirit. And once again, be careful how we make judgment calls on people who have problems because we could be totally wrong. We just don't know as to the reasons why. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 9, you remember that a man is born blind and later on in his life, people are questioning, blaming the parents or blaming someone as to why he is born blind. And then uh, Jesus did say to them, no man had sinned, but for the glory of God, this thing uh, happened like that. So you gotta be careful about making quick judgments by outward appearance only. Now in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. Beelzebub is another name for Lord of uh, Flies. What kind of God would that be, Lord of the Flies? Every once in a while we have a fly thing going on in our, in our house and uh, I don't know what's going on, maybe something is dead on the outside or maybe in the house and um, flies are all over the place and they're swarming around. And so uh, flies are nasty little creatures, aren't they? They don't even taste good either. <laughs> and so the boys will get um, their little guns with salt and shoot them, pretty effective. And then I use, I use a spray bottle with water and dish soap and alcohol. That's also pretty effective. I get them drunk. And then they just fall down and like that. And then I just, and so, but they're nasty creatures. And so they're accusing Jesus of doing these miracles, this miracle by the power of Beelzebub, the God of filth, or by satanic power is the real thing here. And so Jesus says, no, let me explain to you. If I, by the power of Beelzebub over the devil, cast out devils, how can his kingdom stand? It doesn't make any sense. And so his reasoning, his logic is, is uh, beyond rebuke. And so it doesn't make any sense. And so then they say, you know, I think this happened, verse number 31 and 32, this happened, they accuse him of this, because he did it by the power of um, Beelzebub. And so let's go back to Matthew chapter 12, verse number 31 and 32. This is a hard scripture. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, verse number 32 is a very strong verse, and it seems to be saying that if you speak a word against the Holy Ghost, it will not be forgiven you, because that's what it says. And you will not be forgiven so totally that you have the forgiveness not only in this world, but in the world to come. You might as well put down this. In eternity, you're, you're going to enter into eternity unforgiven if you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost. And that's what it appears to say. Now, let me tell you how it is interpreted by people who believe in uh, different, uh, their theology is a little bit different from what we think the Bible teaches. They say it like this. If you speak against the Holy Ghost, you're really criticizing someone who has the gifts of the Holy Ghost 
And when they do miracles and they do these supernatural things and when they speak in tongues, if you speak against them speaking in tongues or doing something miraculous, you're actually blaspheming the Holy Ghost. That's how that is seen by certain groups of people. Now think about that. If you criticize someone who speaks in tongues or claims to have the gift of miracles and supernatural gifts and so on, and you say that's not biblical, you're actually blaspheming the Holy Ghost and you're in danger of hellfire. That's how some people interpret this scripture. You may see why they gravitate to that verse 31, 32, and how serious it is, because it is serious, and how you are never to criticize some unusual movement of, quote, the Holy Ghost, because you could be blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's how some people take that. We don't take it that way. We believe it says something other than what they interpret it to be. And so we have to be very cautious about how some people take the scriptures and not, uh, and they pour into it their opinions and conclusions, which are to us very inappropriate and very wrong. Now, some people also say this about the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost and about the unpardonable sin. Um, they will never be forgiven now or in the world to come. Some people pour into the definition of this, this blasphemy, as something that is a, a sin or sins. And they say you cannot commit these sins because this would be like blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and you would never be forgiven about that. Uh, some people think that adultery would never be forgiven. Suicide would never be forgiven if no one commits suicide. So these are some of the things that people have poured into the definition of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's something that is said against the Holy Spirit. Something that is said against the Holy Spirit. And so it is not criticizing those who claim to have spiritual gifts beyond the scriptures. It is not the right interpretation, but the Pharisees uh, accused the Lord personally. And um, what is the interpretation of this then? What is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that cannot be forgiven? Well, in Mark, he tells us, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, which is a good verse to see, because does not 1 John 1, 9 say that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? 1 John 1, 9 says that. It's a good verse. It's a true verse. And so Mark chapter 3, verse number 20, 20, um, 22 says, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies, wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. So anything that a man says that is wrong or disrespectful or accusing the Holy Spirit or God about certain things is not true, anything that just degrades the name of Christ, uh, that will be forgiven if a man asks for forgiveness. But verse 29 says, He that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost has never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. So it seems like it's telling us that there's something that someone can say against the Holy Ghost, and if he says that, whatever that is, he will never have forgiveness. It is so serious that he is in danger of eternal damnation. He's in danger of going to hell. Now what could it be that is so serious that if you say this against the Holy Ghost, that you possibly could go to hell. And then in verse number 30 it says, because they said about Jesus or the Holy Ghost, uh, he hath an unclean spirit. What does this all mean? What is it that he said that causes the scripture to say, what the Lord to say these things? Well, I will tell you this, to relieve of any kind of fear or suspicion that I or we believe that you can commit the unpardonable sin, first of all, 
This was said by the Pharisees to Jesus when he was physically on earth. He is no longer physically on earth. So on that point, you cannot commit or say the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost because Jesus Christ is not here physically. That's one thing to consider. Another thing is it is something very specific. It's something said against, against the Holy Ghost. Something specific said about that. Therefore, whatever I refer to about adultery or suicide or something else, it is not that. It's something said against the Holy Ghost. It's very specific. And so whatever, whatever it is, it is not the things that people suggest that it is. And you want to be careful of that. And so let me go to John chapter 16 to help clarify about what was said against the Holy Ghost. So have no fear. If you are saved, you cannot say anything to put your salvation in jeopardy. You cannot say anything against the Holy Ghost that the Lord will say, okay, I forfeit your salvation. That will not happen. That will not happen because it violates other scriptures in the New Testament about eternal security. And so there's no fear of any Christian losing what God has given to him. That's not possible. You've been given eternal life, which is a great assurance that we have from the New Testament. Now, let's try to figure out what this thing is that was said against the Holy Ghost that is so serious that a man could possibly leave this world, enter into a place called hell because he said some things or he rejected some things, all right? John chapter 16. There are three things the Holy Spirit will do when he comes. And you may be familiar with this one. John chapter 16. And begin at verse number seven. The Lord is giving comfort and instruction to his disciples before he leaves the world. And he tells some really profound truth to them. And not all of it was understood at the time but in verse number 7, John 16, verse number 7, I think this has bearing upon Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 3. John 16, verse number 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Verse 8, And when he is come, he will do some things. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Verse 9. Number 1. He will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Number 1. Of sin, because they believe not on me. The first thing he will do is he will reprove the world of sin. And it says, he says, because they believe not on me. So John defines what this sin is. Uh, notice he doesn't call it sins, but he calls it sin. This is a singular statement. They of sin because they believe not on me. So what is the sin that the Lord will come, the Holy Spirit will come and prove the world off? What is this sin that when the Holy Spirit comes, one of his main ministries is to reprove the world of this sin? What is this particular sin that the Holy Spirit will as a major part of his ministry to reprove the world about this sin. Do you know what it is? Look at verse number 9. Of sin because they believe not on me. And so John actually defines what this sin is. It is unbelief. 
the Holy Spirit will come to reprove the word of unbelief. Now, turn to John chapter 8. Go back a few pages to John chapter 8 and take a look at a scripture that does connect to what John chapter 16 says. John chapter 8 and verse number 21. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, I will, will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are not of, ye are of this world, I am not of this world. Verse 24. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. What is the sin that the Holy Spirit will come and reprove the world of? The sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. What is the sin that condemns a man to an eternity without Christ apart from heaven? What is that sin? It is not sins. It is the sin that condemns a man to a place called hell. It is not sins that you and I would think about. There are many kinds of sins that are really really horrible, many kinds of sins that are not so horrible, but all sin is sin, but there's one particular sin that will send a man away from the presence of God. And that sin is defined here as unbelief. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will reprove the word of unbelief. Now he convicts, he convinces, and when he does that, it is with the hope that the person will repent of unbelief and turn to Christ in faith. Because the Lord does want people to come to his son and he wants people to be saved. Now, you and I may try our very best to uh, witness to people and encourage them and lead them. And Paul says, we try to persuade men. We persuade men. So we try to reason with them. We use logic. We use common sense. We use illustrations. We use things that connect the natural world to the spiritual world. Uh, the Lord used parables. The Lord used flowers. He used birds in the sky. He used different things in life. He used sand. He used solid ground. He used all these different elements of nature to help people see and understand spiritual truth. And as we try to convince people that they need to be saved, we have to remember that uh, we really do not have the ability to convince anybody how to get saved. <laughs> uh, I remember our friend George Godfrey. George Godfrey, we have the highest regard for Brother Godfrey. The school that he taught in uh, for years, he taught evangelism, wrote a book or two. He taught his book in college as a, as a manual, as a textbook on how to win people to Christ. And so it's very sequential. It starts from point one, it goes to a certain point. It's all the illustration, has the logic behind it. It has everything that is very much, if you follow this plan, you will bring people to Christ. Now, we do appreciate the effort of people trying to instruct people how to bring people to Christ. But you have to remember, who does the convincing? Who does the convicting? When he has come, he will reprove the word of sin and of righteousness and of judgment because of sin, because they believe not on me. So it is the job of the Holy Spirit to convince people of their sin and how they need to turn to the Son of God. So witnessing is, is a, a Christian duty 
And as we try our best to bring people to understand why they need to be saved, we have to also remember it is the Holy Spirit that really does the work. He takes the Word of God, which is witness of the Son of God. He takes our words as Christians, and He, in a sense, backs it up or supports the words that we use or the scriptures that we use, and the Holy Spirit applies it to the heart of the sinner so that he can, he can see it, so that his eyes will be enlightened. In other words, the Lord is the one who brings the conviction and the convincing. So there's a dependence, a whole lot of dependence on God, the Holy Spirit, to open the eyes of the blind, open the eyes of the lost. And so he will come, and this all has bearing upon the unpardonable sin, that which is set against the Holy Spirit. Um, so he convinces the lost to be saved, to believe on Christ, and that's the witness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Mark chapter 2. Come back to Mark chapter 2. Verse number 16. Mark 2, 16 and 17. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that they, that which he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Uh, uh, these poor scribes and Pharisees so concerned about the outward appearance, so concerned about what people think about them, and so concerned about uh, the exterior, did not quite see that the Lord is with sinners because he came to reach the sinners. Look at verse number 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of a physician. Now that's a really common sense statement right there. Why go to a doctor? Why go to a dentist if you don't have any problems? But they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the Lord uses sickness as an illustration of what it is to be, to be a sinner in need of salvation. And so now come back to Matthew, uh, John chapter 16. So having said that, that is to say that the Lord's purpose to mingle with the sinners, the Holy Spirit's purpose is to convince sinners that they need Christ, the Son of God. Now, let me go to one more verse before we go back to John chapter 16. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Then we'll come back to John chapter 16. The witnessing by the Holy Spirit the condensing the convicting is by the Holy Spirit and so in Romans chapter 2 verse number 14 through 16 we have a statement here about that there is something that is in man that lets him know without any influence on the outside that there is something not right Romans chapter 2 verse number 14 For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. These, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the means while accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now, this is to say that without knowing what the law says, thou shalt not, thou shalt, man does these things without anybody telling him, without a written code to go by. There's nothing codified, but they're doing it already. It's because they have a conscience 
a morality about people. The unsaved do. And so they're doing these things. So the conscience says that that's wrong to steal. Every culture knows that it's wrong to steal. Every culture knows private property means you don't take that's not yours. Of course, America is different because we take what's not ours in America. All the time it happens. Um, but the, the point is in Romans 2, a uh, man has a conscience. That's like a witness against him. Now you have someone coming to him with the gospel. That's another witness against him. Then you have the Holy Spirit taking the gospel and his conscience, and that's like it's it's just hitting and pounding and driving and helping a man see by the conviction of the Holy Spirit he needs to be saved. It's it's this coordination, this orchestration, it's this it's this God using man's effort, God using the scriptures uh, to convince convince them that they need the Son of God need to be saved. And so this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now come back to John chapter 16 and verse number 10. The second thing that the scripture here says about the Holy Spirit, John chapter 16 and verse number 10. He comes to reprove the world of sin because they believe not on me, verse number 9. And now verse number 10. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. What is the meaning of that phrase? I've come to recruit word of righteousness because I go to my Father. Well, before Jesus came, there were no righteous men like Jesus Christ who was righteous on the earth. Enoch was a righteous man. He was a good man. He was a godly man. And God took him home before he actually died physically. And so Joseph was a good man. Daniel was a good man. Uh, John the Baptist was the greatest of all Old Testament prophets, but they were never, never really came close to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus Christ came, he was the epitome of righteousness because he was righteousness personified in the flesh. And so of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And so he left the witness that he is the only righteous man, <coughs> the standard for which you should compare yourself to if someone hopes to be righteous enough for God to accept him into heaven he has to measure himself not by another failed flawed human not by a shifting standard not by a class curve but by the standard Jesus Christ and so the Holy Spirit comes to convince people that when you try to polish the apple I mean you know you know how, how, how is it you know like look at me I'm great or I'm as good as anybody else to get saved I, I, I qualify for salvation because I'm not like that guy here isn't it funny how the human mind works when it comes to righteousness in comparison of ourselves to other people? We're not like him. We didn't do that. We're better than that. We didn't do that. We didn't, we didn't embezzle. We didn't cheat here. We didn't, we didn't do all these things that are wrong to do. And so I think I'm pretty much pretty good because I'm more righteous than they are. No, the Holy Spirit is trying to convince people that the righteous standard you go by is by the Lord himself, not by anybody else. We will fall short when we try to compare ourselves to Christ. When we compare ourselves to other people, we're pretty good. We're pretty good. But it's a false standard. And so people compare themselves to others and they don't feel so bad. They don't feel so wicked. But uh, we don't compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves to Jesus Christ himself. And we are in need of a Savior. We're so unrighteous before him compared to Christ. And so the Holy Spirit has come to convince people about that as well. 
And so of unbelief and of righteousness, that he is the only righteous one in which we compare ourselves to. And when we do that, honestly, we fall very, very short. So keep that in mind, those two things. Number three, verse number 11. The third thing he has come to do, the Holy Spirit, to work in this world is verse number 11. He says, now of judgment, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Now, we're getting closer to going back to Matthew chapter 12. Now he says, the Holy Spirit has come to judge the world because the prince of the world is judged. Now, who is the prince of this world? We were just talking about Beelzebub and the connection to the devil is real, is there. And so the prince of this world is the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And so look at Hebrews 2 and verse number 14. When the Lord says that the Spirit of God is going to come, one of the things he would do is judge the world and he would judge the prince of this world. And there is a word or two that describes him doing the judging and having the right to do the judging. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2.14 For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That's the incarnation when God became flesh. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now I said Sunday that uh, you fear God who has the power to cast the body uh, into hell. The devil here is said to the power of death, but he doesn't have the power to cast anybody into hell. He can cause people to die. He can bring it down about, but not like the Lord can. So from verse 14, there's a word that describes verse number 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him. That he might destroy him. That is the power of death. Satan's powerful, but he's not all powerful. So how do you describe someone who is more powerful than the most powerful? How do you describe someone who has power, but someone else has more power than he has power? So the devil has power, but he's not the all-powerful one. There's someone above him that's all-powerful. That person has authority over the devil. And so here's the point. The prince of this world is Satan, and the Lord came and defeated him, and he, he has the ability, the authority, and the power to cast him into hell. So the point here is authority. The point here is power. And so he came to judge the world, and the prince of the world is judged. So what you find is that the Lord is superior. He's the Almighty over even his created being, Lucifer, who turns out to be the devil. He's not all-powerful. Sometimes people think the devil is all-powerful, but he's not. Sometimes people think the devil is everybody. He cannot be everywhere because he's not God. The Lord is God, and he's over him. He has authority over him, and he is able to send the devil to the lake of fire ultimately one day, Revelation chapter 20. And chapter 21 and so that authority 
is superior to anyone else and he also has the authority to send someone to him who blasphemes the Holy Ghost. So the word is authority. As the Lord can do that to Satan, he can do that to any man who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. What is that blasphemy now? So we'll go back to Matthew 12. <laughs> it's a roundabout way we're gonna to try to make a point here. Matthew chapter 12. All right, from John chapter 16, we find the Holy Spirit has three major ministries. And one is to convince the unbeliever so that he can believe and of righteousness, that he is the righteous son of God, he is the standard to compare ourselves to, and that he is the third to cast the devil into hell. And anyone else who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. We have seen from Mark and from, and from Matthew that those who blaspheme against the Holy Ghost should not be forgiven. Neither in this world, verse number 32, neither in the world to come. Now what is said, what is the blasphemous thing said against the Holy Spirit that causes the Lord to say, you know what, I am of the authority and I have the power to cast you into hell and you will be going there because of what you said against the Holy Spirit. What is it? What is it? Okay, to emphasize, it is not saying things against charismatic people. It is not saying things against people who speak in tongues. It's not about saying things to say they got a revelation from God right now. It's not those things at all. None of those things are applicable. It is a specific sin that they have done. Something they have said that blasphemed the Holy Ghost. Okay, now think. John 16 tells us he came to convince the word of three things. So, if a man rebels, rejects what the Holy Spirit has said about the Son of God and about salvation, and you keep doing that, and you keep doing it until finally you have no desire to seek the Lord while he may be found. You don't call upon him while he's near. Then you have cut yourself off from ever being saved because you've resisted the Holy Ghost. You've resisted his wooing. You've resisted his calling. You've resisted his uh, efforts to uh, come to Christ. And what happens to a man who has rejected Christ? What is the sin that sends a man to hell? It is unbelief. Therefore, I think this. I think this. I was thinking this while I was going through this. I think this. I think the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, the sin that he will never be forgiven of in this world, neither in the world to come, is not all the things that people say, but it is connected to John 16, in which when you resist the Holy Ghost, you harden your heart so much, you deny your own sinfulness, you think you're better than somebody else because you are better than somebody else in, in your eyes compared to his life and you haven't done some things, therefore you're okay. You've not compared yourself to the righteousness of Christ and now you are cast away because you have died unsaved. You've died without being born again. So the sin that sends someone to hell is not any particular sin that we often commit or try to avoid it is a simple sin of unbelief unbelief a man will not go to heaven a man will go to hell instead because he has refused to believe on christ and the holy spirit has come to convince people about that but when you deny the holy ghost uh, he, he whispers in here uh, metaphorically but through the word of god and through a witness and you keep doing that and soon that is like blaspheming the Holy Ghost. That is what sends someone to hell. 
It is not particular sins. That is the one sin, though, that does unbelief. And so, um, he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness. That's the mark. Hath never forgiveness? Well, where, where in the Bible do you find people unforgiven? Those who have died without receiving Christ. Then in Mark 3, 29, but, hath, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Well, who is in danger of eternal damnation? Those who have not believed on Christ. Uh, come back to John chapter 3. That great famous chapter 3 of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. We know John 3.16. We know John 3, 17. Look at verse number 18. He that believeth on him is not, oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry. He that believeth on him, ah, he that believeth on him is not condemned. What is the sin that sends someone to hell? Unbelief. What is the, what is the one way of being saved? Believing. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Strong verse. Strong verse. Important verse. Critical verse to help understanding uh, Matthew 12. In Mark chapter 3 about the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. So it is not what most people think that it is. It is really about rejecting the voice, the wooing, the persuasion of the Holy Ghost. And denying what he is here to do. And so keeping people, uh, keeping people from believing on Christ is the devil's work. Wanting people to believe in Christ is the Holy Spirit's work. And when we deny that voice, that influence in our thinking and in our emotions... The very clear danger is that there's no salvation, there's no forgiveness of sin of that sin for him. It's a very, it's a very dangerous position for a man to hear the gospel so often, so many times, and still not believe on Christ. Well, we are assured of eternal life by believing on Christ, or we won't have it by simply not believing on Christ. Matthew 3, uh, 12, 32 says, <coughs> Whosoever speak against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Well, once again to emphasize, all sins are forgivable, 1 John 1, 9, but that one of unbelief is not forgivable because there's no opportunity to believe once we have rejected Christ ultimately, and we have no second opportunity or third opportunity or 500 opportunity to, to receive Christ. Now, thankfully, in the Bible, you have opportunities people get saved at the very last second of their lives. What verse, what scripture, what incident are we thinking about? A man may have rejected Christ all of his life, but the example we can think about is in the Gospels. And this man, this man who was a criminal worthy of, death, worthy of capital punishment, turned to Christ and he said something to him which indicated he, at the last minute of life, believed. 
Who is this person? Yes, ma'am, the thief on the cross. And so the Lord says, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. The other thief says, You know what? To Jesus, if you're the Son of God, get off that cross, save yourself, and save me too. The thief who turned from his sin and turned to Christ in faith says, Listen, we're in the same condemnation as. He said, you just be quiet about that now. You have no, there's no, there's, you're not in a position to be arrogant right now. You're going to die. You're, you're just like I am. But see, so the man believed. The man believed. And so to me, he may have rejected Christ many times, or he may have rejected the miracle that Christ did in, in Israel. He may have heard about that because there's a lot of commotion about what he did and what he taught. And so now, at the very last minute of his life he returned to Christ in faith he believed on him and he was saved now that is that is grace but that is of course helping us to understand what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was so to to emphasize again you cannot commit that sin because Jesus is not here it was said to him when he, he's not here so we can't do that but what we can do is we can reject the Holy Spirit calling us to believe on Christ. That can happen. It happens probably millions of times every day. And uh, you know, there's a there's a counter about how many people are born every day. There's also the same counter that says how many people die every second. In mission conferences, that is emphasized because it's real. And so who knows how many people enter into eternity. Uh, we call that Christless eternity because they have not believed on Christ. That takes away that takes away this thing called Calvinism, where before the foundation of the world, you were predestined to be saved or you were not predestined to be saved. That is not so according to some of the scriptures we looked at, because it's a matter of believing or not believing. That's a choice. You all have a choice to make. And so I was reading that, uh, and I thought I'd pass it on to you about the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so hope you have a clearer understanding about that. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about committing that, but uh, as far as uh, what the scripture says about the actual committal of it, what you do worry about is not believing on Christ, hearing about him over and over again, and still not believing on him. That is the sin of unbelief. That is what takes a man to a place called hell. All right, um, now I think when February was around, I'm gonna go to some Old Testament reading things and pass on to you. So we'll go back and forth like a seesaw, Old Testament, New Testament, okay? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for letting us open the Bible tonight, study it a little bit, and we hope that this clarified some uh, misunderstandings or some concerns about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin. Thank you, Father, for your grace in which you open your arms to all of us today and allow us to come to you by faith. Thank you, Lord, for your merciful, long-suffering to us, Word. And we pray that you help us to remember that you're the one, the Holy Spirit's the one, to bring conviction and convincing. So may we do our part because we know that he will do his part. And so, Lord, we pray for you. Bless your people. Help people who are sick and ill and people who are not feeling so good. We pray that you lift them up in their health. We pray, Father, for you to get the unsaved, help them to have a warm heart toward the gospel. Help us to be faithful to you in Jesus' name. Amen.